0: Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day.
1: Hi, my name is Ann and I'm an alcoholic, and it's good to be in the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd like to welcome all the new people here today. That are here for the first jamboree, and, and they're here in the first year of sobriety. What an adventure. You're really in for an adventure here in Alcoholics Anonymous, believe me. I'd like to thank the committee for inviting me here, and uh, for trying to get a hold of me every time they try to get a hold of me. When I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I thought my life was over, and I was never going to be busy again. <laughs> and it's like my life is so full. I don't have I'm very seldom home. I'm just gone a lot. And I also would like from the bottom of my heart to thank Cricket for the fantastic message she gave us last night. She put so many <laughs> What a walk. What a journey. And that's what Alcoholics Anonymous does. It tells us that we come from all walks of life and that we're people who normally would not mix. And we come together and we all have the last name, Alcoholic. And what a family we have here. Yeah, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I tell you how long I've been sober because one of my very very favorite speakers in Alcoholics Anonymous who carried a tremendous message who I just adored. His name was Norm Alfe. And Norm is gone today, but if you ever get the opportunity to pick up his tape, please do because he's got a tremendous message for the newcomer in Alcoholics Anonymous. Norm I always told you how long he was sober because he said with so many things changing in the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. He said that you might get a pension plan going here. <laughs> and one day he wanted to get his full benefit. So just in case you get a pension plan going here, I want to get my full benefit. I, uh, I got sober on June sixteenth, nineteen 1968, uh, by the grace of God, and Alcoholics Anonymous and, and very good sponsorship. But I had come to Alcoholics Anonymous previous to that. Uh, I had come uh, a year prior in 1997, and 67 uh, I mean. From CRF. I uh, I was 23 years of age when I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I looked around Alcoholics Anonymous, and everybody was very old. I mean, they were old. They were 35 and older.
0: And <laughs>
1: I just could not imagine life without drinking. I could not imagine life without drinking. And I didn't want to be an alcoholic. I didn't know what an alcoholic was, but I most certainly did not want to be one. I was told about Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 19 years of age, and I thought, no, I'm not an alcoholic. My idea of an alcoholic, uh, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous at that time, was an old guy that I, I knew on Anaheim Street, in Anaheim Street in California, Skid Row. And uh, uh, Eddie used to wear a long brown black coat with a rope tied around it, and he wore his hair all flicked back. And he was always panhandling to get some money to get some wine. And I used to look at Eddie, and I think, that's an alcoholic. If I ever get like Eddie, I'll stop drinking. Yeah, and that was my idea of an alcoholic when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous I graduated I left AA I just could not imagine life without drinking I could not I didn't know anything about projection but I immediately projected into being 40 years of age I don't know why I picked 40 I'm 40 and some now but i 40 you're really old you're really dead by 40 I tell you And I thought, I just cannot sit in these hard chairs for the rest of my life. So I left AA. (laughs) I drank for eight more months, and I'm truly, truly grateful for that eight months because in that eight months, I lost everything. And I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about everything inside of me. There was nothing left, and I didn't start out with a whole lot, but there was absolutely nothing left. Alcohol took it all. And when I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous, I weighed 85 pounds. I was malnutritious and my liver was shot. And on the Sunday morning... You know, I've, I've had some physical problems in the last two years. I was diagnosed with cancer uh, two years ago. My hair was supposed to grow back red, and darn it, look, it grew back gray. And uh, I uh, had reoccurrence a year ago in January. So I can't tell you that it's been a hard two years. I can only tell you that it's been a learning two years. And I can also tell you that I feel that God has pruned me and pruning me back to the quick, and I really feel that uh, if it wasn't Alcoholics Anonymous, I could not have walked through what I've had to walk through, with what I've had to, with the dignity and with the courage that I've had to have to in order to go through what I've had to go through, is because of the people in Alcoholics Anonymous, and because of having all of the time and doing and being there and participating and doing all the stuff that I do to work the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. But, some years ago, if I had to know my liver was part of my immune system, I would have took better care of it.
0: <laughs>
1: Some years ago, when I got insurance about 10 years ago, I'm a Kaiser member. And uh, I had the year I was going to give it up. I thought, shit, I'm paying him all this money. There's nothing wrong with me. Thank God. God has better, knows better than I do. But the first time I got a physical, Kaiser was very, very impressed with my liver. And uh you know, they never asked me if I was an alcoholic, and I'm not ashamed being an alcoholic. You know, being an alcoholic, it, I never had a problem saying I'm Ann, I'm an alcoholic, when I came to Alcoholics smells because it had kind of a nice ring to it, it was like being a doctor or something. You know, <laughs> compared to some of the names where I was called when I was out there drinking. And so I, they never asked me, and I didn't tell them I was probably about 21 years sober at that time. And uh, I went in to get the results of that physical, and the doctor. She looked at me, and she gave me all the results, all the little things they would taken, the blood work, and then she looked at me, and she said, We're really concerned about your liver. And I said, Oh, really? She said, Yes. She said, This really only occurs in people who are hard drinkers or heavy drinkers. And I looked at her, and I said, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I got all excited, and I said, I haven't had to drink, blah, 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 blah. and she looked at me dead right in the eye, and she said, You know, if you drink, you'll die. And I looked at her right back, and I said, No shit. <laughs> yeah. piece of information to be given me yeah. if i know anything anything today i know as i stand up here before you this morning my disease is progressing if i know anything i know that and you may ask me how do i know that if you're new here in alcoholics Anonymous, how i know that is i've had the opportunity to say if you want to call it an opportunity you just sit around alcoholics Anonymous. And watch some of your friends go back out. You just sit around here, and I'm not talking about people with two years or nine months or six months or a year. I'm talking people with lots of years of sobriety. Lots of years. And it breaks my heart because something happened. And whatever it is, you know, Cricket said last night, and I always have to remember this, I've got to stay small in Alcoholics Anonymous. got to stay small. There's no big shots in AA. We're all just members, and the one that is in control here is God. That is who is in control of all of this for me. And I've, one of my dearest, dearest friends, she had a tremendous message in Alcoholics Anonymous, and she hasn't made it back yet. And, you know, if they told me that I would die within a week, you know, I might do it, but I'm not guaranteed I'm going to die in a week. It's a very long, slow, slow suicide. And so, you see, I know that what I suffer from, I suffer from disease of alcoholism and it progresses as I stand here you know when I was new in Alcoholics Anonymous I used to say why me where is it why didn't so-and-so get it and those old timers were just oh god they were not kind I'll tell you that and they said why not you Annie there's something about your face that pisses God off so you stop asking God I mean they had no kindness no compassion no understanding no nothing it was like, shut up, sit down, and, you know, and I, like cricket, I was, came to Alcoholics and I had an attitude problem. I walked around my first year, sobriety, and I gave everybody the finger. I tossed you up one side and down the other. From the first time I came in, and when I came back, I tried to figure out how I could get out, you know. I wanted to get out here. I made a terrible mistake. I, I, my, I was too afraid to go out, and I kept waiting for them to tell me to leave, and they kept saying, keep coming back, you know. And then I found out, we tell telling everybody in Alcoholics Anonymous to keep coming back. I was so disappointed. I thought they just singled me out of the whole group.
0: <laughs>
1: I um I came into a group in Huntington Beach. I went to a lot of meetings, but when I came into a group, I came into a group in Huntington Beach and I am so grateful and I love these people very, very much and I, you know, I go to Jerry's, I cut hair today and I, and I cut hair at my house because the people in Alcoholics Anonymous set it up so that while I was thrown up from doing chemo, I could get up and cut a head of hair because I am self-supporting through my own contributions today. And, uh, I would do that. And I do some house calls for some of those people that are not able to get out anymore. Like, Jerry does get out, but he, I don't want him to come to my house. He's blind and I don't want to fall into my house. And, uh, Jerry and Gloria were very, very good to me. And I go to his house and I cut his hair. And I spend a lot of time there. And Jerry played a very important part in my early sobriety when I was about four months older, he used to call me Crazy Annie I had bright red hair and I had a mouth like a truck driver and uh, they'd say here she comes and they'd be taking bets on whether I was going to make it or not and I didn't know this I remember running up to Jerry when I was about four months sober I remember saying to him where are those steps and how often do I have to run up and down them you know <laughs> I had visions of twelve stone steps So I had to run up and down every day. That was part of the the recovery. You had to go up and down these stairs 12 times. And he kind of looked at me, you know, like, oh, my God, where did she come from? He said, Annie, he said, you go to a lot of meetings. And he said, you know, every meeting you go to, they read Chapter 5. And he said, the house stands for honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I was honest, but I had willingness. And willingness is the key for me. And he said, and there's 12 steps there, he said, and they read them every meeting you go to, honey. And he said, I want to tell you, he said, if you uh, work the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous or apply the steps to the best of your ability, he said, I guarantee you, your life will change. And if you're new here today, if you apply the steps to the best of your ability, I guarantee you, your life will change. It may not change the way you want it to change, but it will change, you know. Because nothing ever comes to stay here in Alcoholics Anonymous. It always comes to pass. I got me a sponsor, and I loved this woman very, very much. She became everything to me. And she was my sister. She was my mother. She was my best friend. And she was very, very gentle. And she was able to take me down when she needed to take me down. And she gave me directions. And she was the first person in my whole entire life that I can honestly say that loved me unconditionally. And it took me a long time. To realize that with her and that woman told me on a daily basis that i was a child of god and god loves me and i drove this woman insane totally insane absolutely nuts i would you know i was calling her every five minutes to the day she had five children she was a single parent and no she was married to john at that time and then john and her got divorced but it was like all the time she she raised me i went to her house when i got sober I didn't know how to read, and I didn't know how to write, and it's got nothing to do with my disease of alcoholism. It's got to do with where I came from, and and my people were not interested in education, and it wasn't that very important. And uh, I was about 10 months sober. I decided that I wasn't going to do the fourth step, fourth and fifth step, and John, my sponsor's husband, came up to me at my home group, and he said, Annie. He said, have you done the fourth and fifth step? And I said, no, John, I'm not going to do it. I said, that's for those of you who drank for 15 or 20 years. You're much sicker than those of us who only drank for 11. (laughs) (laughs) And he looked at me, and he said, you know what? He said, if you don't do the fourth and fifth step, he said, I'm going to announce it all over Huntington Beach for them not to listen to you, but you're not working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, he put terror in my heart, absolutely terror. I went home that night. Now, I really relate with step two, Uh, I am really crazy, and I go home, and how I was going to solve this problem, in order not to do it, I decided what I'd do was, what I would drown myself in the bathtub. That's how I do it. I would just get in the bathtub, fill it up with water, and I would slide down in the tub and drown myself. And I listened very, very carefully in the meetings of reading chapter five, and I could recite chapter five. They hated me. I would just, I still recite it. I'd never leave any commas, periods, or anything. It's just, I just say it like a poem. And, uh, I remember them, when they read chapter five, they'd say, and there are those who have grave emotional mental disorders. And I kind of slid back up and I thought, "Uh uh-uh, those guys are not going to go around AA and say, well, that's what happened to Annie. She had grave emotional and mental disorders. That's why Annie commits suicide, you know, so I didn't, and I'm not big on suicide, I'm more apt to kill you than I am to kill myself, (laughs) and any time I ever talk about suicide is usually I'm just going to jump off the curb because I don't like to hurt myself that much. (laughs) I ended up, uh, the next day I went out and I got all this paper and pencils, and, and I didn't drive a car for the first four and a half years because I couldn't take that silly little test. And I have got a ride and I arrived over at my sponsor's house and I sat down at our kitchen table and, and if you're new here today, you're going to find that you're going to find a whole bunch of very narrow-minded people here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I sat down and I handed her all this paper and pencils and she had all colors. And I, she said, what's this for, honey? And I said, well, I'm going to tell you all about it. You start writing. And she looked at me and she said, I'm going to write. And I said, yeah, I'll okay. tell you. You just write it. That's what they want me to do. This is what we're going to do. And she said, honey, I've done my inventory, and now you get to do yours. And the only emotion I knew when I came here, I was very angry, just rage. And anger for me is terror, absolute, total terror. And I left the house, and I got a ride home. And I went home, and I'd call her. And this was way before they had machines. And I would call her up on the phone, and all she would say was, right, 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 right. And I would hang up the phone and i uh, was a great pacer i loved to pace i used to have the big book under my arm and i'd walk back and forth you know and and i used to think it was going to go up through my arm and into my head and I was going to get all this knowledge because i was going to get all this stuff and i couldn't tell her i couldn't tell her i had a lot of secrets but i couldn't tell her that one and so i told her and she said annie she said i don't care how you do it but you do it and so i did i made a lot of marks on paper and i did that inventory and And I am so, you know, in step six in the 12 and 12, it says that wishful thinking is a character defect. And to this day, I wished I kept that inventory because there's no comparison to the girl that took that inventory to the woman that stands before you tonight. I, um, I do know how to read and I do know how to write and that came again through people in Alcoholics Anonymous. There was a little gal named Mary Jane who was in special education and, and the gal that made the 12 step call on me happened to be a teacher, Carolyn C. And both of those got together and, and mary jane's gone today and she's just a wonderful wonderful lady and and mary jane and carolyn got together and they took me out to some psychiatrists out there in orange and they tested me and and they gave all kinds of tests and they said they came up with they said i wasn't wired right well god i know all my life i wasn't wired right you know i didn't need a group of psychiatrists to tell me i wasn't wired right and they said i had a thing called dyslexia that i saw things backwards and i did i saw things backwards and 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 I even tell my story backwards sometimes. And uh, so they, my sponsor, I was five years sober, my sponsor took me to, um, another lady came into play there and another lady taught me my ABCs and taught me. She was a child psychiatrist. I thought that was very, very appropriate for somebody like me. And took me to school. And I remember when she took me to this learning center, I remember standing outside, she filled out all the papers and got me ready, just like I was five years old. I was kindergarten. And she stood at the door, and I said, you come in with me, please. And she said, no, honey, I'll be here when you come out. And what I'm trying to tell you is that I have not had to do anything alone in the 29 and a half years driving sober in Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that what well, I want to share with you, what I found in that inventory, and I'm not going to give you details folks. I used to. Just to say, let your hair down, and I did. And then they said, no, 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 not too long. Get it, don't do that any I mean, I'd give you all the details. I don't do that anymore. I'll tell you in a general way what I learned in that inventory. And I've taken many, many inventories because I'm one of those, i one of these people that believe, at least for me, I don't know about you, but for me, I believe that I have to continue to work the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't believe that the first, the last three steps are maintenance steps. I have to go back, and I've had to go back and rework those steps into my life because the same Uh, same steps that worked for me last year most certainly will not work for me this year. And I tried to do an annual inventory and I tried to do it right before my AA birthday so that I know where I'm at and what I need to be doing for the next year. And, you know, I've found I've got more defects of character now than I did when I walked through the doors. You know, I didn't know what a defect of character, I thought that was something you ate. I didn't know what that was when I got here. I, um, go back to being very, very young and I was born with tremendous, tremendous fears and, and, uh, I'm Irish and I'm Catholic. That gave me two strikes against me uh, right off the bat. And I'm not one of those Irish that's never seen the skies of Ireland. I lived there for 17 and a half years of my life. And I'm the 8th child out of 10. And we had a very, very small home. And my I listened. And I was raised in the school of Alcoholics Anonymous. You do not label someone else an alcoholic. But I've listened to enough men here in Alcoholics Anonymous that I would say that my dad definitely had a problem with alcohol. My dad... Um, had a problem not just with alcohol, he had a problem with gambling, he had a problem with women, and he had a lot of problems. And he brought it into the house, and my mother, the only thing she ever did was she had too many kids. And uh, she was absolutely, my mother was nuts. She, just was, she was married at 15 years of age, and she never grew up. And my mother died two years ago, and, and I want you to know that I love my parents very, very much. It took me a long time to get there, because I was a blamer. I blamed everybody. I couldn't take responsibility for me and through Alcoholics Anonymous I take full responsibility for what I say and for my actions today I am um, but I couldn't at that time growing up in this household and my father would get drunk on a Friday night and a Saturday night and he would come home and he'd beat on my mother now I didn't know that this was going on all over Ireland I just knew it was going on in our house And I remember as a child I'd be upstairs in that bed and I'd have the pillow over my head and I would be terrified, but I'd be praying to that God that they were teaching me. And I was afraid of him, too. And while I was praying to him, I'd say, please, let him kill her. Or maybe she'll kill him. Or maybe I would die. I prayed a lot to die. And I got the next morning, I had all these things going on inside of me. And what to wear was guilt, remorse. And I was a very, very bad child for thinking all these bad things with my parents. Now, I didn't know that until I came to JA. And I went to Catholic school, not because of rich, simply because that's all there is in part of Ireland I came from. Now, I tell you this part of my life simply because I really believe, for me, I was getting ready for alcohol way before I picked up a drink. I really believe, for me, if I had not done alcohol, I would have gone absolute stark, raven mad. Alcohol saved my sanity until one day it turned on me and I found a fellowship called Alcoholics Anonymous. I went to Catholic school, like I said, not because we were rich. And people used to say to me, how come you didn't get an education? I used to say, because I had frustrated Irish nuns." <laughs> the these book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, the brainstorms are not for us. And I had my first brainstorm in second grade. And I remember it very well. And uh, we had catechism every morning when we went into, into school. And, and every morning we had to memorize. And I couldn't memorize because we had this very small house and and I never slept in a bed by myself either. It was always four or five of us in the bed, and, and I, um I used to hide under the coal hole, and that's where I used to find my find my peace because my mother would start yelling, and she would down the list of names and who she wanted, and if you happened to be there right in front of her, you got it, you know, it was, you know, up the side of the head. And so I was, uh, I was kind of trying to avoid all of that. And I couldn't memorize the catechism and I was just so full of the fear because of the anxiety and the stuff that went on. There was a lot of anxiety. The only time the Irish in my, in my house was when they were telling you to love you and they were usually telling you to the other side of the house. And so I went into school this day and I decided I was going to get this nun before she got made I had made that decision. I thought I'm so tired of getting that red, the round ruler down on my knuckles. Boy, boy, she'd just come right down on my knuckles. So she asked me the question, and I couldn't answer it. And she grabbed it. I jumped out of the seat, and I often slapped her across the face as hard as any little second grader can hit somebody across the face. And there was a black petition in this particular classroom, and Mother Superior just happened to be teaching that particular day, and she just happened to turn her head, and she just happened to look and see me do it. She came running in. She grabbed a hold of me. She, you know, the, she had the big black robes, you know, and the big cross and the rosary was down there, and and the the... the, the white thing on the head and the veil, and she's just, I mean, she's coming in, she's furious, and she grabbed me by the back, and she kind of shakes me like a puppy dog, and, and I stood there and looked at Mother Superior and 30 kids and said, I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was to do that until I came to the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. I would stand and look you dead in the eye and say, I didn't do it because I could not take responsibility for my behavior. And so they took me out of there to move me to another grade, and I kneeled in front of two statues, and I assumed I was supposed to pray. And I always say three weeks, and it probably was a week, but it felt like three weeks to me. And I had to get up. I got tired of kneeling on these hardwood floors. I had great big knots on the floor. And so I went back up to apologize to the class. And I remember standing in front of that class, and I remember sister with that round pointer snickering in my back, and she wants me to say, I'm sorry. God, I don't want to say I'm sorry. I've lowered my eyes. And, and she spoke me with it, and I said, I'm sorry. And something else happened inside of me. And what happened inside of me was you against me. And it was always you against me from that time on. By the time I left school, I was uh, just i just barely turned 13 when I left school. And I went to work in a factory. And I had all those hopes and dreams that every other girl had. I was going to find me a nice Irish fella and get married and have kids. And I am truly, truly grateful God does not answer stupid prayers. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> truly. I found alcohol and I found boys all in the same week. And my first drink was a half a bottle of cognac. And this guy told me that if I drank this half a bottle of cognac, he would give me a pound note, which was equivalent to $3 in your money at that time. And I was, the deal was I was to drink this half a bottle of cognac down and I wasn't to stop. And I drank that half a bottle of cognac down and I didn't stop. And I went into the bathroom, I got very, very, very sick, and I threw up, and I went back out, and I said, "Give me my money." You know if I know knew what I know now, I didn't know that that night I sold my soul, I sold my soul for a drink. I didn't know that at that time, and I got my money, and I went up to the bar if you're if you're Irish and you're in Ireland and you know how to name your drinks, they will serve it to you. You don't have to be any age and so I went up and I ordered me another drink, and I continued to drink. And I can tell you what it did to me. That knot that was in the pit of my gut it was gone. It didn't matter whether my father beat or my mother. It didn't matter whether there was no food in that house. It didn't matter whether I had no education. I found the secret to living. Now, I didn't drink every day from that time on, but I drank at every opportunity from that time on. By the time I was 17 years of age, my father made the decision for me. I had absolutely nothing to do with this decision. He decided I should come to California because the streets were paved with gold. I've been there 35 years. And I'm still looking for those bloody streets paved with gold. <laughs> I had never been anywhere in Ireland. I come. I'm not a country. I'm a colchie. We call us people from the country. We're country people. We're colchie's, and city people. People are city slickers. And I was. In, I came from the country, and. And, uh, I'd never been anywhere in Ireland. I never, as far as I ever got in Ireland was Dublin, the zoo, and all of a sudden sending me to the other ends of the earth. And, but I didn't know that this was alcoholic thinking even then. I, all I knew that it was going to be different. And if I could get away from this family, I'd never tell anybody I was Irish, and it was going to be different. You see, and that's alcoholic thinking. Even then, that's how I thought. It was always going to be different somewhere else. If I could have left me home, I would have had a good time. But I always brought me with me, you know. So I, uh, my aunt took me up to Dublin and filed all these papers. It was much easier to get into this country back in the 60s. And, and she filed all these papers and got me ready to come to, to the United States. And my sister had come out here. And, and I um, remember going up to Dublin. I remember getting on that plane. I remember drinking champagne. And I remember the feeling. And the feeling was freedom. I wanted to be free. I wanted to be free more than anything in my life. I wanted to be free. But I was never to feel that feeling again until I came to Alcoholics Denon's because it's a false feeling of freedom behind alcohol. And I came and I stayed with a family up in House Churches and I was very impressed with the family. They had a beautiful home. and She had a liquor cabinet. We didn't have a liquor cabinet in our house. And, and she had. they drank 108 proof vodka and I used to drink 108 proof vodka and I'd fill a bottle up with water and, and she couldn't understand how come she couldn't get a buzz on. Well, she was drinking that good water that she used to buy. <laughs> and these people were very, very good to me. And, and they wanted me to go to school. And I couldn't tell her. That I, when she got messages, I couldn't give her the messages. I couldn't write their names or do numbers. And, and when I drank, I was really highly allergic to alcohol. I I mean, when I say highly allergic, I, when I'd get drunk, I used to break out all over my body with wealth. You know, just big wealth all over my body. And... and uh, and i shook a lot and i shook a lot because of the stuff i drank and i shook a lot because i had a lot of secrets and and i was terrified and i walked around most of my life with my head hanging down feeling so ashamed of who i was and, and where i came from and what was going on and and this woman took me down we were down the beach high and she wanted me to go to school and and uh and i couldn't tell her i couldn't be with my peers and i couldn't tell her i couldn't go into that office and fill out those papers and and i'm outside the door and i I'm kind of, I can tell you today where I was experienced, I was going into a catatonic state of fear, with abs- a state of mind with absolute fear that the, someone was going to find out something about me, and I kind of slid down the door, and, and she looked at me, she said, Annie, you don't have to do this, and, and I was so relieved I didn't have to do that, and, and I started running around down the beach pier, and, and that woman tried to ha- tell these people if they didn't stop serving me that she'd have them closed up, and, and I left those people, and I was running around down the beach pier, and like, this was the time of when there was a lot of drugs. This was the time of the flower children, and, and there was, uh, heroin was very was very much in, and everything was in. I, and I never got involved in drugs, and I've got nothing against those of you who did get involved in drugs. I, I Just by the grace of God, I didn't. And I was, uh, this is a girl, her name is Fran, and she's sober many years in Alcoholics Anonymous today, and, and she was from Brooklyn, New York. And, and Franny was a school teacher and, and her and I ran around the, down the pier, and she was really, I'm mean, a real New Yorker and uh we were i was at our house one day and, and i was down in the back room and this guy tied me off to shoot me up with some heroin and and she came down and you ever see someone from new york especially from brooklyn go crazy <laughs> oh my god she went absolutely totally crazy nuts and she called him everything but white and she absolutely she grabbed a hold of me and she told me a thing or two and she said don't you ever do this don't you ever ever do this and took me down to the pictures you and i going to down to paul's and went down to Paul's and she explained to me uh, that if I was caught and I would be deported back to Ireland that, you know, they would just take, run me out of this country if I was caught doing drugs and I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified and I knew that if I was caught and if I was deported got right through into my head that my father would beat me at Dublin Airport he'd kill me first and ask questions later. I started smoking when I was 10 years of age and my grandmother turned me on to cigarettes. My grandmother God love her. My grandmother was an in invalid, and uh, she had a stroke, and and um, I used to go there every day. I I loved to go to my grandmother's, and and I wouldn't give her the bedpan unless she gave me a cigarette. That's how I felt. <laughs> I was kind of not a very nice, not very nice kid. So, and it used to be old. They were called Woody Woodbines, They were the cheapest cigarettes you could buy in Ireland, and so then she finally taught me how to inhale and. And so then she squealed on me and I took a beating for it. I, uh, my dad caught me smoking and I'm standing there with that cigarette hanging out of my mouth and I said, I'm not smoking. <laughs> and I, say, I ate that cigarette. I literally ate it. And I was, he took a dog leash to me and he whipped me and he kicked me. And then my mother came running into that little living room and she said, God, Jack, you're going to kill her. He said, yeah, I'm going to kill her. She's no good, never will be any good. You know, I knew that from the time I was probably five years old. I was no good, never would be any good. And, um, they couldn't let me out of the house for a couple of weeks because they were too afraid that if they'd let me out, someone might see me, I was so badly beaten. I don't know what they would have done in Ireland. I don't know what to do today if you even, you know, correct your kids. I, um, so that memory stayed with me, and I knew that if I was deported that that man would meet me at Dublin Airport. He would kill me first and ask questions later. So I moved on uptown at that time of my life, and... Uh, one of the other things I like about being sober and alcoholics Anonymous is that I got clean clothes on today and my, my hair is combed and my eyebrows are in the right place. They're exactly where they're supposed to be. And that's not a purple eye I got from someone hitting me. That's purple because I put purple eyeshadow on this morning, you know. And uh, when I drank, I drank everything and anything anybody ever gave me. When I bought, I bought Ripple. I don't know if you get any Ripple drinkers here, but I'll had you... If you would never got drunk, it was 37 cents a bottle that came in a long neck bottle. And if you would never got drunk on Ripple, I'm telling you, you missed a trip. you definitely a trip. It was, you know, you never felt cheated when you drank Ripple. You could, you know, get two drunks for the price of one, you know, and drink water the next day and you're drunk all over again. I used to walk along Catalina Avenue and I hated everybody. I had so much hate in me. I hated everybody. I, I hated the Americans because all you ever talked about was education. Whether you did or you didn't, that's all I heard. I didn't want him to do with the Irish because all they did was talk about <sighs> They just change addresses to behave the same way here as they did over there. I really wanted to know that I like being Irish today. I really believed there was, of course, Irish that could hold your in meetings in a phone booth. Now, I know a lot of people don't like to hear that. You don't have to be Irish, in know, to become a member. It just helps a lot. <laughs> My sponsor told me many years ago the reason why God created whiskey was he was afraid the Irish were going to take over the world, so he thought he'd slow them down just a little bit. <laughs> I um, I used to walk around in a paper sack, bottle, rubber go ahead jeans way before they were fashionable, and, and walk around Catalina in an old t-shirt and give all the cars a finger and And I don't consider myself a wino. I guess I would be a winette. <laughs> <laughs> so, I took the lesser two evils. I don't know if there's any Spanish people here or Mexican people, we call them, uh, here in the group. Well... I took the lesson two evils. I start running around with Mexicans. I want you to know that I like Mexicans. And people always get a sense that they think that I'm saying something bad about Mexicans. I'm not. My best friend in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is Angie. I'm sure most some of you have heard Angie, Angie Dill. And Angie and I, many, many years ago, sat down and we kind of dissected the two nationalities and what we came up with. The only difference between the Mexicans and the Irish is that we ate potatoes and they ate beans. <laughs> <laughs> they drink hard, love hard, and beat the hell out of you on Saturday night, whether you need it or not. Uh, and so I learned, I got involved with a group of Mexicans over there in Toronto, Florida, and I learned to speak Spanish like as was a native to the tongue, except it was all swear words. And, uh, didn't learn anything else. I didn't have a big resume for a job. I didn't work. I uh, couldn't seem to hold a job. I couldn't seem to hold anything. And so this guy was drinking in the morning. I was just drinking in the afternoon, and he introduced me to the morning drink. Very, very, very exciting time in my life. was jumping out of cars and running, just chasing. The only time you ever see a Mexican go fast is when the cops are after them. They really go uh-huh. fast then. I, um... No, and Alfie always said that when you drink, don't think. And I got to thinking one day. That was one of the things that, you know, the sign that says, Think, think, think in Alcoholics Anonymous? I, and I would come up with some real winners and I'd bounce it off my sponsor and I'd say, Well, the sign says, Think, think, think. She said, Not for you. <laughs> that's for other people, not for you. You do not think. Do not think. I will tell you what to think. And mom always said, you know, don't ever think when you're drinking. And I got to thinking one day. You know, I've been running around with this guy long enough, and we ought to get married. I think it was leap year. I'm not sure it was leap year or not. But I had uh, moved all the way from the top of the hill. I'm now living over in Gardena. And I uh, took me half a gallon of Red Mountain wine, drank it, and I Got out in the road, I used to do a lot of hitchhiking, I hitchhiked a ride over to Torre me, and I found him I want you to know you could smell me long before you could see me And I proposed to him And he looked at me and he laughed and he said, I would marry you if you handed me in a silver platter Now I don't know how you handle rejection, but my next thought was, I'm gonna kill you son of a bitch Because one less Mexican in the world, we'll all be better off
0: <laughs> I've never
1: owned a driver's license, like I said, until I was four and a half years sober I've got pictures of this car you ever want to see him? I've got proof I did do this. I got him in the car and I had to, the line between my legs and, and we're driving the car and I thought now is my big chance and I was in the Harbor Freeway and I turned the wheel of the car and then I took 25 feet of guardrail, went down 30 feet in the bank window and I thought I killed me in Mexican. Now, that's total insanity. I was able to do so many things when I was behind alcohol. It's the craziness. I never gave it one thought that I would get hurt. I just wanted to kill him. That's how much rage I had in me. I almost killed him. And what I learned out of that, folks, is if you're going to kill one Mexican, you've got to kill the whole family. <laughs> For some strange reason or another, they don't take too kindly to you messing with the people, even if they do call you anti-Irish Irishman. I also learned that when you're running with Mexican people, you never yell cop. Ever yell cop. I yelled cop one time. We are downtown Long Beach, and we used to have telephone booths in California at one time. And I got out of the bar, and I yelled, got in the phone booth, and I'm calling the cops on him, and he kicked the door, and he kicked me, and I yelled, uncle. Now, you see, I have no illusions that there's not something wrong with me. I don't know what normal is. I don't run around with normal people, even in Alcoholics Anonymous. Most of the people I run around are a little off. You know, now the only, I don't know what, I think my oldest daughter is probably the closest I have ever seen to normal But I keep telling her husband, save your money because she's my daughter and she's going to need a good psychiatrist one day, you know The only place I ever get to see normal is on my washer and dryer, it says normal cycle You
0: know,
1: know, I like to think I'm delicate, you know (laughs) So I know there's something definitely wrong. I I have to assume there is such thing as normal, that people, when they get into these situations, they run and they leave and they get away from it. I don't. I crawl out of the phone booth. I go to the bar he's at. And I said, let's have a drink and we'll discuss this. You know? That's not real bright. You know? The guy's just about almost half killed me. And I'm bent over, crawling back to the bar to have a drink to discuss our relationship. You know? I also learned in that inventory that I had some other things that went along with. I never had a relationship, whether it would be with a man or a woman, you know, a friendship, girlfriend. I always got hit for some reason or another. It talks about my type of personality in step eight. It talks about the type of personality I had. I would antagonize, and I would antagonized, till so you had nowhere else to go but to hit me. I'm not saying I deserved every slap I got. I didn't but I I really antagonized it. There was some stuff that went on was that if you didn't hit me, you didn't love me. I related to getting hit with love. I also had something else going on was that I wanted somebody to hit me hard enough. If you just hit me hard enough, it would kill that part of me that wanted to keep screwing up. And you know what I found here in Alcoholics Anonymous? That if you kill that part of me, That's the part you love here in Alcoholics Anonymous. You will kill all of me because that's the part you love here. And I have not... Nobody has found it necessary. Believe me, there has been several in Alcoholics Anonymous that would have loved to have hit me. I mean, one guy came out of a meeting when I was about a year sober, and he was absolutely livid, crazy. And I had my tennis shoe off, and I'm beating him with my tennis shoe because he didn't like what I had to say at the meeting.
0: <laughs>
1: and those old-timers are standing back there, and they're saying, Don't hit her. Don't hit her. That's what you want. <laughs> couldn't,
0: understand,
1: couldn't understand what they were saying, you know. I listened to a cricket blast, and I talk about them. They call a special steering committee meeting when I was five years sober to have me... What well, was that when they impeached me out of Alcoholics Anonymous? Can you imagine impeaching me out of AA? Because they didn't like how I was running the meeting. Because I wouldn't do what those old timers wanted me to do. And I, and there was this guy that I, we him and I were really good buddies. And I still adore him today. We're good friends today. Took it, we had to cart ways. And, and I, I was starting to get health and I was starting to get well and I thought I was getting well. And so they said that, it was a time when a lot of homosexuals were starting to come into meetings of California. And I've got nothing against homosexuals, that's your preference of life, and that's fine with me too. I don't have any, I don't have any issues with anything today. And I um this guy came up to me and he said, you know, you are very hostile behind the podium of Alcoholics Anonymous when you're making the announcements. I said, I am. I said, my god, this group has improved 25%. Since I became secondary, nothing like a little ego. It's really grown. It's the only reason it's grown is because of me. And uh, he looked at me and he said, well, he said, the type of people, he said, that you attract had at no quality. And I went off, crazy. I said, how dare you? How dare you? Quality, you asshole. I said, do you realize that when you got to the door, you came out of state penitentiary? And i came off the streets of long beach and if they were looking for quality they would have asked us to both leave you know how the hell are you going to get quality you know and so that night i got up at the podium to make my announcement and i said those of you with quality sit in this side of the room and those of you with no quality
0: <laughs> i never tell that story
1: <laughs> and very quick those old timers call a special story committee meeting They are going to have, and I was terrified, and that was too when I learned about tradition. I was terrified I was going to get, I thought, oh my god, now I want to stay. You know? (laughs) Now I'm ready to stay, now they want to get rid of me. Nothing ever came of it. The group split and they took their coffee pot and moved to another area. (laughs) I guess that's how I'm eating stories. I don't know why I got off on on that one. (laughs) But I had that. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: but I had that thing, and I ended up in Arizona with this man. I couldn't let go. I had the obsession for alcohol, and the obsession for men was unbearable. And, and I always got that wish that someone wanted to kill me. And I was in Prescott, Arizona, and it took me years to remember where I was. And I was very drunk, and I was very belligerent. I said some stuff to the guys. I don't know what I said. I used to say a lot of things. People used to say that, you know. I mean, I, I did my vocabulary when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous was a lot of swear words. I couldn't put a sentence together without using a lot of swear words. And, and um, today, I, I try not to swear too much. I've done a little swearing this morning. I'm sorry. Yeah, but I try not to use that poor little word. That was my favorite word. And I went out to back seat the backseat of a car to pass out, and four guys came out after me and they pulled me out of the backseat of the car. And they beat the hell out of me. One guy said, we'll go get the truck and we're over her. And we're talking in Spanish, and... And uh, went and got the truck. And I, you know, when I was new in Alcoholics Anonymous, they tell me that you won't die from lack of sleep. And, and I didn't want to sleep anyway because I, I had terrible nightmares, like horrible, horrible nightmares of of, the, of how my life had gone and, and how I didn't want it to go. And uh, these three, I, this truck comes and these three guys jump off of me. I don't know where I got the sense to roll off the dirt road. Where I roll off that dirt road and my hair's full of gravel, and my dress is all torn, and I up off the dirt road and I walk along the road and then. I'm the type of drunk I live by four mailboxes of Ross Market or some sign and, and I don't know where I, where I am. I'm somewhere in Arizona. I'm never going to get back to LA. And, and the guy comes along and he picks me up and we go to a liquor store and we go to the dirty motel and, and that's how I learned to solve my problems. I have no idea how to solve my problems until I come to the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. When I came to the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, she talked a great deal about dying. I know what it's like to die. I know what it's like to die when you're brand new, and Alcoholics Anonymous. and you get to that part in the big Book aim to say, you have to let go of all your old ideas. And I would just come up to my throat, and I'd slow hard, and I'd think, oh, I can't let go of all my old ideas. I'll, I'll literally die if I let go of all my old ideas. I knew what was going to happen to me if I let go of all my old ideas. I didn't know what was going to happen to me if I tried some of your new ideas. I'm so grateful to the women and Alcoholics Anonymous, especially the women... And I, and I really do believe there's only two kinds of alcoholics, there's male and female, that the women are the ones that, are, that have really helped me the most and that knew how far down that snake pit I'd gone and knew that they would have to spoon-feed me alcoholics and all, a little just a time. And, and I did try on it. I missed a whole lot here if I hadn't tried on the new ideas. And I know it's like right to die, I end up in this little room and this little hotel it was $10 a week and I could never come up with the $10, but so I always come up with the money for drinks. And you had to go down the hall to take a shower and I didn't take too many showers in those days because the only time I was ever relieved of what was going on inside of me was when we the influence of alcohol and I'd start drinking to get past this fear and, and to, you know, to get down to do what I needed to do and I, and I never go down the hall to take a shower and I lived in that room for six months and I died in an inch of time in that little room. And I remember in that little room I remember lying in the bedroom one night and I, I, had a hot plate and I had a sink in and I cockroach and I had a galley and nanny in that room. And and this particular night I was lying in bed and i was sucking off a box bottle and I screamed like a banshee and I was just screaming I wanted somebody to understand me. Gotta be somebody in this world that understands me. I couldn't hold on to no relationship. And I remember getting out of that bed in the room and putting on those old rubber go aheads and putting on that old pair of jeans and those old T shirts and heading out in Western Avenue. And I'm here to tell you today that I always found somebody. And I always lost it for a very brief time. I always got beat up and thrown out of cards and left to my own self one more time. If you're new here today, I want you to know that I have been understood beyond understanding in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it took me a long time to understand that, too. And if you're new here today, I want you to know that I've been loved beyond anything that I have dreamed of in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. I ended up, I moved out of there, I thought, if I could just get away from this group of people again that thinking it's going to be different somewhere else. And uh, I just get away from this group of Mexican people there's there's a cause of the problem. I move and I, I moved to Long Beach and I, I had, um walked across the UCLA campus one day and told somebody I had a four-year college degree. <laughs> all these well-meaning people get getting all these fancy jobs and I thought, gee, I can't even write my name. Never mind, get a job in the hospital. So I ended up in Anaheim Street and anaheim street and i did eight months and i could not have been any longer than eight months in anaheim street and it was anaheim street at skidron and uh in long beach and while i was down there this skinny little period little guy came along and, and he asked me out and i asked him if he had a job and he said no he didn't work and I, said, hey. I said i said you know you have to get a job I, i'm having a hard time supporting myself i'm most certainly not going to support you and uh so he got himself a job and and he gave me two of the blackest eyes I've ever owned in my whole life. And I knew that we were in love. <laughs> my thinking is not that great. I mean, my eyes were black. All, I, my whole face was black all the way down to here. I mean, just, see, the biggest sunglasses would not cover it, those eyes. And we had gone together all of six weeks. And we got married. And we moved to Minnesota. And I met his mother and his father, and he were beautiful people, very, very good people. I really liked his family. I didn't like them then. His mother didn't drink. She didn't smoke. She didn't gossip. She went to church and Sunday. She didn't screw around, and I had absolutely nothing in common with her. <laughs> I thought, my God, I should have checked this guy out a little bit better before I married him. And I really thought that I was going to be, you know, I wanted... marrying him meant that I could drink in this custom I, in the manner I always wanted to become accustomed to. drink every day, and he was taking bottles out of my purse, and tell me when I could drink and when I couldn't drink and he wanted me to fix him breakfast and he wanted to fix dinner and I thought, my God, I married you. Isn't that enough? And five months into this marriage I decided I'd made a terrible, terrible mistake and that I ought to get back to California and find that Mexican that really loved me. (laughs) And I got another one of those brainstorms and what was that someone told me that if you get pregnant you automatically grow up. What a lie, you know? What a lie. So I got pregnant, and five minutes after I'm pregnant, and I don't want to be pregnant anymore. The doctor put me in beer and wine. I said one glass of wine a day and one beer a day, and I on a six pack a day. I spent that nine months by the toilet bowl, and, and um, there was five other girls in that apartment building that had babies, and each one of them came home and they're all real happy, and, and I was the last to, in that building to go in to have a baby, and I wanted the same feeling that those moms had, and uh, I had my baby, and they put my baby in my arms and. God I hate this part of my story, but I'd really love to tell you that but, but I just loved her from the very moment I put her in my arms. I got an overwhelming feeling of responsibility and what do we do now? And I took that baby home and God I wanted to be a good mom. I wanted to be a good mom and I didn't know how. And the big book saves me there. It says we cannot transmit something we don't have. And I couldn't give to that child something that I didn't have. And I very quickly started to do what was done to me. And I was many, many nights, my husband had to take me off of her. And I started to leave home, and I couldn't stay home. I had to get out in those streets. I had to go. Because I couldn't stand somebody loving me or wanting to take me. I know. Um, I still have a lot of time with that today when I was doing my treatments and people coming over difficult to allow you to help me. I'm sorry. I'm being a wimp. (laughs) I'm sorry. I guess it's Valentine's Day and I got no friggin' Valentines. I um I did want to be a good mom I love that girl so much today. And that's what it imitation because they like cricket, I couldn't let you touch me. I couldn't let you hold me. I couldn't let people come up to the girl. That Janet she'd come up to me. I'd back up and I said, Please don't touch me. I was so afraid that would touch me and I keep away from me. I kept you away from me with my mouth. Hug today. It's been hard for me to be hugged because I've got a lot of pain on the side of my chest, and I can't hug as hard as I used to hug. But that's not always going to be that way. And I, um, that girl is 31 years old today, and she's made me a grandmother. I've got two beautiful little grandkids that they wanted me, and I have I tell you, that I've got to thank the women in AA for helping me raise my kids. I did raise my kids. I abused um, I, that little girl up until I got long after I got sober. Um, my husband threatened me that if he didn't, if I didn't do something, he was going to take that baby away from me. And as bad as I was, I didn't want to take that baby away from me. He was going to go back to Minnesota. And I, um called Carol. I had been on a four day drunk. And I had got beat up really bad. Because, see, I thought that i been married, give me a license to say, say whatever I wanted to say to you. And, you know, men hit just as hard, whether you're married or not. They don't care. And, uh, that last four day drunk, Billy Dean Leona, both Billy Dean Leona died, and they died a horrible death, close to the liver. And I, uh, Ended up on that Sunday morning on June 16th, my husband sat at the end of the couch with his head hanging down and wringing his hands. And my little girl sat at the other end of that couch with her little diaper half off and her legs all black and blue, her little eyes kind of sunken in our head. And I said, I gotta go see. I'm gonna call that girl that wants to be my friend. Cause Carolyn called me and wanted to be my friend. And I didn't want to be her friend because I didn't want to have to come here. And so he said, you go ahead. You've never completed anything in your life, and you won't stay there either. And I said, i better got to go see because I can't stand what's going on inside of me. And Carolyn came and got me in that Sunday morning, and I sat in my hands, and I sat by the door. And I was just, I had been so sick the night before. I always got very, very sick. I would get so sick that the boil would come off my stomach, and then I would pull my nose and start drinking the next day in order to keep it down. And I sat by the door and the man stood up here like I am tonight. And I know this is so true. And I wanted, to, all I wanted from you was to stop my head from racing, take this knot out of the pit of my gut, and make these shakes go away. And I would have cheated myself. And the man said that I suffered from this threefold disease. I don't know who this man was to this day, but I know what he said. He said, you suffer, and then he said, you suffer from a threefold disease. It's an allergy to couple covenant to obsession of the mind and you're spiritually sick. And he said that I could get sober and I could stay sober the same way I drank. I'm a daily drinker and a periodic drunk. And I went out of that meeting and I'd like to tell you that I didn't want to drink. I wanted to drink more than anything in my life. I wanted to drink. I could taste it. Because you hadn't done the thing I wanted you to do. You hadn't stopped my head from racing. You hadn't taken knot out of the pit of my gut and you hadn't made the shakes go away. But I heard the man say, you don't take the first drink, you won't get drunk. And I went to another meeting I went to a lot of meetings, and my behavior, like I said, was not that great. I was nine months sober and nine months pregnant. I gave birth to a baby boy, and I very, had that baby boy. I had two children. I had three children, all total. My youngest one, I never laid a hand on. I probably should have hit her a little harder. I never laid a hand on her, and she is the one that's got the biggest mouth. But I love her very, very much. She's very, very much like me. She's not into alcohol yet. But she saw all the predisposition of it. It's all there. It's just waiting. And I hope she doesn't have the allergy to it. But I was, um, I remember that I had that baby, and when I had that baby, something happened for me. It was really a very profound spiritual awakening for me at that time. And there's women in here, and you know when you go into the living room, and it's very, very cold in the living room, and I was so scared of labor, and I had one labor pain. And I said, if there is a God, show yourself now. And a blanket of warmth made across me, just a blanket of warmth. And I started to cry, tears just kind of a little bit down my face. And I said, do you feel him? Do you feel him? He's here. Do you feel him? The nurse was looking at me like I'd really lost my mind, literally lost my mind. And that stayed with me because that's what I needed. But I was still afraid to really turn my will and my life over to care of him. I was still afraid to surrender to him. And something else happened inside was that what happened inside was I admitted to my animal self that I was an alcoholic. And the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that is his first step in recovery. And I'd also, because now I was not fighting alcohol anymore, I had surrendered to the fact that I was an alcoholic. I wasn't obsessed with wanting to drink. And I was two and a half years sober. I was still doing a lot of stuff to my children. And I'm not proud of it. I didn't come into Alcoholics Anonymous and come out of a dark room and come into the sunlight and everything was okay in my life. It took me a long time. My my uh, recovery has been very, very slow and thank God it's been slow because of me I needed to be slow so that I'd learn it real well. I um had that baby boy and I wanted to be a good mommy because now I'm sober and you know, the illusions so that I'm like other people have to be smashed and I wanted to be I wanted to be like those other mothers. And I very quickly was abusing that little boy. And I got pregnant again and I know what caused it. But I'm not, <laughs> I'm not willing to give it up either. That's, uh, <laughs> don't ever tell me it's a character defect, you know. <laughs> I um had three, three children I have my baby girl and I'm with her, trying to hang in this, in this marriage. He's not going now on him, He doesn't drink at this time in my life. But I turned a half year sober and I gotta tell you this and I gotta probably shut up. I turned a half year sober. I beat my son, and I don't tell you this because I'm proud of him. I tell you this because I really believe what these old-timers tell me. And you talk a lot about God here when I was new, and you talked about the peace within, and I had no peace. I still was just crazy. I was crazier now, two and a half years sober, than I was when I walked through the door. And I beat that little boy, and the man came to the door. He was 10 miles away from home. He came to my door, and he took that baby away from me, and he said, you call somebody. And I called Mary Lee, and I I knew that I couldn't drink and I couldn't take any pills. I couldn't take anything. I knew that I had to, something had to happen because of this outburst of rage, this little rage. I just felt red. I couldn't see. I had, I would go crazy. I went to a meeting and I went into the meeting and I asked him to help me. I said, please help me. Help me make the 180 degree turn. I don't want to drink and I don't want to use drugs and I don't, I wasn't, I never used drugs but I knew that you could get some valium, some tranquilizers to help you. And someone said something, and I threw a chair down the meeting, and I ran out of the meeting, and thank God I didn't drive. And a woman came out after me, her name was Edna, and she grabbed a hold of me, and she held me in her arms, and I started to cry. And I couldn't stop crying. You see, I couldn't cry. I couldn't really cry way down deep in here. And then they held me, and I thought, if I cry, there's going to be nothing left. It's going to be just a big blob of jelly. And uh, they held me and struck me to Orange County Psycho. I didn't stay at Orange County Psycho, but that's what they took me. Because when I was new in Alcoholics Anonymous, they took me to Schizophrenics Anonymous. Because they didn't know what to do with me. And uh, Edna, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, talks that there are those of us who thought that we were reborn. And I was reborn that night in Nathan's arms. And, that was and that there was none of you sober. And three months after, Edna gave me life. Edna committed suicide. And to this day, I don't know why Edna committed suicide. But she gave me life, and I mentioned Edna every podium I go to. Because Edna will always be a big part of my life, because you just don't know who's going to be there. You don't know who God's going to send to you to help you along the journey on your road. I am um, ended up with it. Psychologist, and I'm not here for process, for psychology. But I had done that fourth and fifth step, and I'd given it away, and I'd taken it all back, and i pushed it down because I couldn't forgive myself, and I paid God an awful lot in my own life. And I ended up with this man, and he never charged me any money. I think I gave him a dollar in the last session, and I want you to know those old hunters were really grateful I was going. to keep saying, you keep going, you better keep going. You keep going, I better keep going. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, they were so down on any because they all spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on, on psychiatric and, and, you know, and really resented it. And, and I, uh, he told me that I wanted someone to love me and I knew there wasn't anyone before who could love me. I was never told. I was loved. I wasn't brought up. I was dragged up. I was one more mouth to feed in that house. And I don't blame those people. Those people never were told themselves, so how could they give me something they didn't have? I um, I knew there wasn't anybody in me, said there. So There's got to be somebody in here. and I said, there isn't anybody. I said, what about those people down there in my I said, oh, those are people who only tolerate me, because the only requirement for membership is to drive something. And like, God only knows, I wanna, don't want to drink my sponsor who loved me so I'm still does. would well, tell me like I said earlier on the daily basis you're a child of God and God loves you Annie, and I love you I went home and I called her up and it was little Alan on this to take me with the with the three kids in the car because I didn't drive she'd take me out to Orange County to the psychiatric unit and before it, I had my son text me because I knew he was the problem that was the wrong he, he needed and they said no they wanted to see me <laughs> And I called Lois up and I said, Lois, I said, Do you love me? She said, Annie, I love you so much and I can't believe that there was some ridiculous. I um I couldn't love you. I didn't own it. I thought I to touch my children, I thought to hold my children. I love my kids so much today. every time I see them with her, my kids have been absolutely, absolutely wonderful through all of the stuff that I've had to walk through. They have been there for me. And the people in Alcoholics now and the women have been there for me. I was five years sober and never ever asked me to be their sponsor. Nobody. Those old times used to get the newcomers and move them away and say, don't talk to Annie, just don't uh, Just to <laughs> She'll be okay. I mean, never, And they do it in front of me. They used to call me crazy Annie, right to my face. They didn't go behind the back and say it. They said it to my face. You know? This little gal came into the program, and I, I was watching crickets sit with her legs up underneath. Well, I had this little gal who came to the program, named name was Cindy, and Cindy had long blonde hair, beautiful blonde hair. She had the blue eyes, blue, just crystal blue, beautiful. And she, uh, she asked me to be her sponsor. Nobody ever asked me to be their sponsor, and I said I would help her as much as I could. And she wrapped her legs around her neck. She used to sit and eat in meetings her legs wrapped. I can't say the word, so I don't say it. She was sitting in meetings her legs wrapped around my neck. And, and one night I went into, down to my, my home group where we all went and I walked in and I was over talking to the secretary and, and this guy came up to me and he said, Annie, Cindy's over there by the door and, and she's hallucinating. She was six weeks clean and sober and she'd used a lot of drugs and a lot of them LSD. And he said, are you a sponsor? And I said, yes. He said, you need to go over there. And I was so scared, you know, I so scared I'd do something wrong. And I went over and I took her legs down and I put them down where they're supposed to be. And, and I took her out of the meeting and went into the bathroom and I sat down on the floor because there was no, nothing there to, to sit on. And, and I took her in my arms. She looked at me, the bluest eyes I've ever seen in anybody. And she said, Annie, you love me. And I felt love for the first time for the you human me and my tears went down it was like electricity running through my whole body and I looked and said my God,
0: Cindy I do love
1: you I had three children and I all got that for my children and I really believe that it's not what God wants me to give you it's what God wants me to give you and I've learned a lot I, I uh, ended up sending my kids to Catholic school <laughs> And my motive behind that was to get back at all those walking nuns for all those young people I ended up making a trust step call on the priest, Father Joe Moran, And I ended up... Him and I became very good friends. And he ended up being a very, very fine member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I ended up making amends to those nuns for what I did when I was there. I, am. Um, I divorced my husband six years ago. After 11 years of writing, my husband started drinking. That was not supposed to happen to me either because i was still behind the fuck don't you know? Don't you know that I work a program? Don't you know that I'm supposed to be married forever? I'm very angry at God. Really angry. I it's not there. I've done all all the, all the stuff I've done all the age of I, I've done all twice that twelve step work. My marriage should work. I've about it for years.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: he just started drinking, and I tell you, I gave some of my finest talks at my kitchen i used to have the big book on tape I still have it on tape I play the big book I get in sleep and I put it on tape and thought would get it at night you know <laughs> I'm a really good candidate for Alan.
0: <laughs>
1: I did good to Al-Anon. I I um, took him I got involved in charismatic now called Catholic and I took him I had them pray over him and finally about Six years ago, it was in November, six years ago, I got very, very suicidal. And I knew I couldn't drink, but I thought, well, my brain out, looked pretty good. You know, I mean, here I am, staying, here I am, going to all these meetings and doing all this stuff. and This joker, America, can't get it. Well, you know, alcohol is much more powerful than me. And so my daughter, my oldest daughter, had to tell me, she said, Mom, you got to go. You can't stay here. Dad's not going to change. And I want a mother. And I see you're going to end up killing yourself. And you've got to go. My other daughter told me the same thing. And I left. It wasn't easy. It was not the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. But it's the best thing I've done in my life. Because I've given him the freedom to do what he needs to do. And I have grown up. And I have done a lot of things. I learned to take care of myself write my own checks, pay my own bills, and be self supporting through my own contribution. I am very, very, very blessed. Very, very, very blessed. Uh, God has been very, very kind. When I got diagnosed with cancer, I did not blame God. I don't believe God does these things to us. I believe that he puts them in our life, at least for my life, to see how I'm going to react with it and see what I'm going to do with it. I'd like to close. I read a lot of spiritual books, but my favorite book is Gabron. And I always close with this. Because it helped me so much. And those of you who have got children and are trying to raise children in Alcoholics Anonymous, my kids have all turned up real well. And this helped me a great deal with my kids when I was raising them. Gabron says, Our children come through us, they're not my children came through me, but they're not of me. My sponsor told me many years ago, they're only in loan to me. They're only truly a gift to me, a gift from God. And I can only be there to guide them. And I can't get into their world no more than they can get into my world. And I came through the people I came through, but I'm not of those people I came through. I'm of the people of alcoholics and no. Because you are the people. You're the ones that walked the extra mile with me when nobody else could walk with me. You're the ones that held my hand when nobody else would hold my hand. You're the ones that seen Annie that nobody else ever gets to see. And you bring her out, and she walks tall today with dignity, because she is a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. How am I ever, ever going to thank you for all you've given me throughout the years I've been you? God bless each and every one of you.